Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hey, Justin, I'm calling about Builder's First Source, ticker symbol BLDR. I own some. I'm looking to add some more. Just let me know what you think. Thanks. And provides unbiased answers. I think this uh, this is headed for a, a downtrend uh, because of revised uh, earnings estimates that are, that are going lower. You know, the housing market cooling off. I'm I'm just not a fan of this. I think there's still uh, a ways to go. Invest Talk, over 38 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back. Welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our January 31st, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. And we've always told you that the market can be unpredictable and volatility is typically higher than what you've experienced over the past couple of years. In fact, the volatility is actually a lot higher than you've experienced over the last 14 years, since 08. And you're experiencing that now. Look what happened in the market today. Said, probably have aggressive rallies, face-ripping rallies. Short covering rallies. And that's what you saw today. And volatility happens in both directions. A lot of people think of volatility and they think down. Well, down is one way, but up is another. And so today's market should not surprise you. You should be ready for it. But you also have to know what to do next? Do you chase? You chase performance, but you'll never catch it. And so it's about having a plan, not just chasing performance. So that's what I'm going to do today is to help you take that next step in developing, fine tuning your plan. And of course, I answer your question specifically. And that's why I need you to call. I love that you call. This show is all about you. So I want to answer your questions, give you some topics, give you some statistics that will help you have a more comfortable financial future. Hopefully reach financial independence just a little bit faster. That's what we try to do every show. Chop wood, carry water. Okay. And on this podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. That is my assurance that no matter what I'm speaking about, market as a whole, segment of the market, just broad educational topics, a specific commentary on a stock, I'm going to present it all without bias and give you the facts as I see them. 
in front of me and using my 20 plus years of investment experience. So I'm Justin Klein. I encourage you to take to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And you can do that right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time or leave a question on our anytime voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888 chart. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hello, my name is Juliana, and I wanted to get your opinion on Vale, uh, V-A-L-E is the ticker. I am considering to buy it, but I know it's been going up uh, in the last couple of weeks already. Just wondering if it's still a good time to invest, or do you think it's too risky? It's international. Let me know. Thank you. All right. It's, uh, I believe it's pronounced Vale. V-A-L-E is the symbol. And this is a Brazilian miner of iron ore uh, and a lot of other minerals, magnesium, coal, for example, nickel. It's one of the largest nickel miners in the world, as well as copper, a little bit of copper in there. But mainly it's iron ore and iron ore pellets that go into, that go into making steel. And they've been hurt because of lower demand out of China. And things are shifting uh, in that industry. And this has fallen out of bed. 52-week high was up around $23. Now we're at 15 But the low, just a few weeks ago, back in mid-November, was $11. So it's had a nice 40% rally, 35-40% rally from the bottom. But it's still in a downtrend. It never got back above any major resistance levels. And therefore, it's pretty high risk. Now, it is cheap if you're looking based on backward earnings. But the question is, what will it earn going forward? And the current dividend yield you might be chasing, 17%, that's probably unlikely to be sustained. And if you look at their history of their dividend, in 2016, it was $0.05 cents a share. Looking backwards, it's $1.50. Back in 2016, they were at $1.12, $1.13. So from $1.13 to $0.05. Cents. In the span of, oh, just a handful of quarters. So don't think that this is something that you're going to get that steady dividend on. Highly volatile, highly dependent on iron ore prices. And that's my bit of a worry there, is that if the global economy is slowing a bit, uh, if China is not going to build nearly as much in real estate as it had over the past few decades, what's the demand for steel going to be like? It's going to be overcapacity in the industry. What's the real volume going to be? So it's interesting. I still don't love it yet. I'm kind of neutral on it. Um, And so for that reason, I'm not, I don't love the risk versus reward. Let's just say that. And that's really what investing is about. You don't never know what's going to happen. It's about weighing the pros and the cons and making sure that the odds are in your favor. Okay, so I don't love the odds on this one. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Question, are are market corrections always good buying opportunities? We're going to look at the statistics there. Then also, how is Fed policy impacting the housing market already? We're going to look at that. Then I want to go back into the past and look at tobacco. And... I think there are some lessons that can be learned from what has happened with 
tobacco companies, tobacco stocks. Remember, the 90s, tobacco was kind of treated like oil is today. And But there's still tobacco companies around. There's less of them. They're more consolidated. And there's more taxes on them. But they're still around. And so will big oil be similar to that uh, a couple decades from now? And then lastly, Wall Street's green, I guess you could say green uh, drive towards investing in a, a greener future. Well, there are some conflicts of interest there, and I'm going to unpack that as well. So that's what's on my mind today, but ultimately I want to talk about what's on your mind. So give me a call, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Let's look at the uh, market today. We had the S&P up a little over 2%, up 83.7 points. The NASDAQ, definitely the strongest market, up uh, nearly 3.5% there. And you go over to Morningstar. And you can see strong rallying growth over value. I said this. When you're in a bear market, those rallies are a lot stronger than, than the sell-offs. Because it's a lot of short covering. And there were a lot of people chasing the narrative. This is... Good lesson. Don't chase that narrative that, oh, the growth stocks are falling uh, out of bed and you, 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 you go and short them. You try to take advantage of that because usually when sentiment gets off sides, it goes the other way. And that's what happened in the short term. Now, long term, we know it's all about earnings and cash flow and all that. But short term, you had that sentiment really, really off sides, hit support, and you have strong rallies. But the strength of this rally here goes to show you that this is really where the uh, really where the bear market is. It's in the growth side of the market, and often the strongest rallies in the, the strongest rallies happen in those bear markets. So large cap growth up almost five percent today. Uh, large cap value only up half percent. Mid cap four point four on the growth side, one one percent on the mid or on the value side. Small cap growth up five. Small cap value only up one point three. So you had definitely a lot of short covering there. I do think we're going to get some upside in the market over the near term. I said this in my video on Friday. If you go watch our uh, YouTube channel, you can see that video over there. And, you know, this is a, from a technical perspective, we were oversold. From a sentiment perspective, we were oversold. And it should not shock anybody, once again, that we had this kind of face-ripping rally off the lows. Now we have to still clear resistance in order to say this is anything long lasting, but it was an interesting risk on type of event today. Now we're moving into a quick break, but I'm here ready to answer your questions at 888-99-CHART on InvestTalk. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hey, Stephen Justin, this is Doug from Northern California. I appreciate all, all your help. Uh, I have a question about uh, Costco. Yesterday, I believe you mentioned that we should 
try to get into inflation-proof stocks. So I was wondering what you think about Costco because it's uh, taken a dip from around 560 now it's down to around 490. I was wondering if now is a good entry point to Costco. Thank you and look forward to hearing from you. Bye. All right, looking at Costco, I don't think anyone needs to know, needs me to tell them what Costco does, but they have about 815 stores worldwide, 72% here in the US, 14% in Canada, and then a handful elsewhere. And this is a company that's been on a rip roaring rally throughout the pandemic. And I actually am not a fan of Costco at these levels. I think it's just too expensive. Currently trading at about 24 times enterprise value to EBITDA. And that's come down from its recent high of about 26. But over the last decade or so, it's traded closer to the mid-teens, mid to low teens, actually, uh, when it comes to that multiple. And I, I think it's just too expensive. That means it would have to come down by roughly a third from where it is today. So from 500 to, let's call it uh, 350 or so. And that would be an interesting place. And then you look at the backdrop of the economy. Once again, it's slowing. And we're getting through to the end of COVID. Look what's happening in, in, in Europe. And, and you know there's uh, multiple countries in there, especially Nordic countries, that are removing all the restrictions, even the UK. And so what that means is they'll, it'll be easier to uh, shop in person. Uh, remember, Costco online is a big driver of their business right now. And the goods economy, goods inflation is going to come down dramatically. Demand for goods has already peaked. So that's coming down as well. And what does Costco do? The vast majority of the revenue comes from selling physical goods. So no, uh, it has come down. It's both, uh, it, it just passed back above the 100-day moving average. But uh, to me, this is one of those high multiple stocks that needs to come down. This is a COVID stock that will correct and get back to a reasonable valuation, but we're not there yet. So I'm passing on Costco on the watch list, but needs to be much, much lower for me to get interested in it. Below 400, then we'll talk. But until then, no, no. Let's go to Mark in New Jersey, looking at MBIN. Hi, Justin. Good to talk to you tonight. You too, yes, you I'm too. Looking at this. Sure, I'm looking at this because it's, does a couple of different couple of different things. It's diversified, it's spread out across different parts of the country, and I'm a little annoyed I missed out on the big jump over after hours. Jumped up a nice ten percent, but mm -hmm. hopefully still good bank, still good time to get in. Oh uh, well, you're right. It is it is a good good bank. This is Merchants Bank Corp, and they operate multiple lines of business focusing on FHA multifamily housing. Uh, lending and healthcare facility financing, uh, some other businesses as well, but a well-run uh, bank. So definitely on the watch list. Uh, I probably wouldn't chase it here up 10%, but if you can you know, retrace back to 31 or so, uh, then I would probably uh, pick it up. So thanks for the call. Now we're heading, we've already completed the first trading month of the new year. Yep, this was the end and our phone lines are open and ready to speak with you at 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is here to help. And when you download the free InvestTalk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. 
888.99 chart, 888.992.4278. Let's talk about this uh, little market correction that we've had so far. And we, we came close to that 10% uh, level on the S&P from peak to trough. But the question, we, did, we had more than that, definitely on the NASDAQ. We were close to 18% on the NASDAQ overall. But since uh, 1928, there have been corrections greater than 10% during 62% of the years. Majority of the years, you're going to get a 10% drop in the market. This is why when I talk to clients or potential clients, we focus on the risk score, their risk tolerance level to make sure that, hey, 10% fluctuations are comfortable. Because if they're not, then you shouldn't be in all equities. Because 62%, nearly two-thirds of the years since 1928 have had a 10% correction or more. Last year was an anomaly. Now, typically, in non-recessionary corrections, so drops in the market caused by other factors besides a drop in earnings and economic activity, or at least a dramatic drop, let's just say that, that peak typical peak to drop peak to trough on average is 15%. There've been 21 of those since 1950. So that'd bring the S&P to about 4100 which is let's see where do we where was the low? Right around 42 and change. So I call 5% more from where it was. Now the 33 corrections of the last 10% since 1950. The median episode was about five months and was peak to trough about 18%. Remember, that's median. There's between mean and median. Average is mean. Median is the middle example of all of those 33 uh, instances. Now, if you were a buyer of that 10% below, your median gain a year later was 15%. Median, not average. Sorry, mean. Yeah, a median. There you go. Median. Yeah, not average, but median was 15%. So it's rare to have a actual bear market unless there is a recession. But there can be different catalysts that will drive that. One is positioning, so sentiment. Another is monetary policy. And then the rest is earnings. Those things that can really drive a bear market. Now, the rise in interest rates could push us there. That's one. So if you had a 100 basis point increase in real rates, that, would, that could push the market, all things being equal, down to about 3,800. And so far this year, you've gone from 1.5 to 1.8. So that's only about 30 basis points. So we have to have much bigger increase in, in the 10 year for us to, to really drive uh, us down there on its own. Then what about sentiment? Well, typically when you get oversold levels, you have a standard deviation in sentiment of two times or more. Right now, only about 0.4%. This is as of last week. So that means that sentiment is rough, but not for the overall market. The overall market, eh, it's a little down. 
and it may be bad for the tech stocks, but not for the overall market. So sentiment isn't in a level that's going to give you a, 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 a sustained bottom. And what that means is that it, sentiment could get worse and could go a lot lower. So that's not saying that we should be at a bottom either. And then lastly, earnings. And if you look at earnings so far, uh, guidance has been relatively mixed. 52% provide guidance above expectations. 48 are providing guidance below expectations. So very mixed. And the bottom-up uh, consensus for 2022 earnings is unchanged from the beginning of the year. So this earnings cycle is not telling us anything. Okay. Okay. So the earnings cycle is not saying anything positive or negative at this point. All right. Now let's, uh, let's head over to Dana point, just a couple, just one city South of me. We're going to talk with Jordan and he's looking at STWD. Are you looking to buy it? Or do you own it? I own it. Um, I did quite well on it. It's kind of been flattening out. I like the dividend and I'm wondering if I should sell. Do you think it's going to go down anymore? Uh, this is Starwood Property Trust. It is a REIT and engaged in originating, acquiring, and managing commercial mortgage loans and mortgage-backed securities here in the U.S. So it looks like it is a mortgage REIT. And you're probably going after that 8% dividend, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, and uh, so I, yeah, I would not be excited uh, about this this name you know, with, with rates going up uh, remember, they're kind of like a, a bank. And so, uh, the, these mortgage rates, they're, they're, they're a bank, they're borrowing short, they're lending long in the mortgage market. And when their, their assets go down, their, their mortgages, because interest rates are going up and their cost of capital is going up because interest are going up, uh, that, that makes for a, a tough situation and they're adding more debt and they can't afford uh, the level of th this this payout. And so it's now in a downtrend and I'm definitely passing and moving on from Starwood. Now the next invest talk, the story behind this headline, could the good times for tech be coming to an end? I'll get to that tomorrow, but give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy and where would you want to use it. Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. 
there's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now, on the next InvestTalk, the story behind this question, could the good times for tech be coming to an end? Techsoft has some venture capitalists concerned that the boom era is over, and we're going to look at that story tomorrow. But we're going to check in with our iTunes reviewers and uh, those that do leave an iTunes review and leave a question with that review. We prioritize their answers. So here are some questions from iTunes reviewers. Ed says, it is, is it possible to move over to another brokerage and still keep my positions or would I have to sell all my positions and start over with a new broker? Great questions. Great question. I get this all the time because we get a lot of new clients and they have positions uh, at other brokers. We use TD Ameritrade as our broker, but many people have Fidelity, Schwab, E-Trade, all over the place. And the answer is simply absolutely. In the industry, there was there's something called an ACAT form. A-C-A-T is what it stands for. I uh, can't remember what exactly what the acronym means. We just say ACAT in the industry. Uh, but what you do is we submit the, open the new account at TD, and then we submit that ACAT form with the contra broker information. So it's that Fidelity, what the, what that broker is, and then what the account number is. And then the assets would just move over as is, as long as they can. Now, some firms have proprietary funds 
it's pretty rare nowadays. We don't see it very often, uh, not as much as we used to. But some firms have proprietary funds that can't move and you have to liquidate then. But it's it's extremely rare. Um, But if it's individual stock positions, uh, ETFs, those those things absolutely just move. They they move as is. Uh, Individual bonds, things like that. Uh, So yes, you can definitely move it without uh, without selling the positions. And and that doesn't mean you have to send it to uh, somebody like us. It could just be, hey, you don't like, say, Fidelity, you want to move to TD, or you don't like TD, you want to move to the Schwab, whatever it is, you can do that. And I, I encourage you, once again, get out of Robinhood. Do not leave your money in Robinhood. Move it to a big broker. Tennis Freak says, I have listened to every episode for more than a year now, wondering what think what you think of Caterpillar, ticker CAT. I don't want I don't own any, looking for potential to buy some. Let's take a look at the chart here. It's always interesting now that we're getting a little bit of volatility to see what that's looking like. And this had a, a bit of a rally in December into the middle of, of January and sold off hard since now it peaked back in June at about $246 per share. And it's now in a downtrend. And I don't like the technicals at all. But let's look at the fundamentals just a bit here. And for everyone out there, Caterpillar is one of the largest uh, industrial equipment makers in the world. And it has a market cap of $109 billion, $109 billion, pays about a 2.2% dividend. And it's return equity right now 32%. Let's go look at what that's looked like over time, because that's always the most interesting, not what it is a snapshot today, but over a decade plus, typically through business cycles, what does that look like? Well, it's averaged in the kind of mid teens, which is still very good. So I like Caterpillar as kind of a long-term hold. They they have a, a large install base, but they're very, very cyclical. And as the economy slows, this is the type of name that you you don't want to own unless it's uh, it's really bargain basement. It's priced to free cash flow right now is at about 20 times. And historically, let's go back the last 10 years, that's... That's, that's, that's actually in the midpoint of its range. So I like that based on that metric. Let's go to enterprise value to EBITDA. That's about 14 times today. And that is also in the midpoint of its range. So from a fundamental standpoint, uh, you know, it, it's, it's probably average uh, on, the, on the metric, uh, multiple metric. And the chart, though, is bearish. That, that's all I can say about the chart. And then you look at the economic backdrop and the economy is slowing. And that, that for that reason, I would be patient on it. The chart and the, the technical backdrop. And the fact it's not bargain cheap. It would need to be bargain cheap for me to be excited about it then. So I like that it's on your watch list. It should be on everyone's watch list. It's a good, solid, consistent company. But it is highly cyclical. And I don't like kind of the, what you're seeing now with potential uh, Fed policy error, first half of this year, you're going into deep slowdown of the economy and inflation. And that's why I would be, I, I would be a, a pass on cat for now. If it gets back around 150, now we're at 200, that would be an area that I would be excited about Caterpillar. Now let's pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a listener question that came in earlier on 888.99 chart. Hello guys, that's Reed from Washington. A great show. 
Colin thought that the uh, ticker symbol of Zebra Technologies. Colin C what would be a good uh, buy point. The ticker is ZBRA. That's like 20% down from its highs. I think it's about 18% growth and around like 33, 34 PE ratio. I'll be listening for the answer. Thank you so much for the great show. All right, this is Zebra Technologies. This is the leading provider of automatic identification and data capture technology. And what they make are RFID tags, barcode printers, scanners, uh, et cetera. It helps the retail industry, transportation logistics, manufacturing, healthcare markets, just efficiently move product and, and not have to uh, be burdened by tracking where it all is. It's, it, it's, it's just, uh, automatically tracked through their, their products that they, uh, they put onto, uh, the, the, the supply chain and the, the, uh, the fact in inside the factory and production, uh, et cetera. It it's, uh, we like it. It's a name that is on our watch list and it's one of the most consistent, strong, uh, companies out there. We like the the tech behind it. We like the economic moat that that gives it and that install base. So this is a name that we really, really like longer term. Problem is, is that I do think it is overvalued currently and needs to come in dramatically. So enterprise value right now is about 23 times. And if you look historically, that's traded closer to the mid teens. Okay. So it needs to come down roughly similar to Costco here, right around $350 per share to be about where it historically uh, trades. And this is uh, definitely benefited from the pandemic. And it's come, it's already come down, uh, like you said, about 20% from its high little rally today. And uh, yeah, a right around, yeah, around, around 420 will be your first big support level. So that's an interesting level, but like I said, it doesn't get cheap into, or, or, or it doesn't get to average level of cheapness till about 350. So in that 300 to 350 range, that's where I would pick it up. But I'd be patient on. It. Remember, this is a high multiple name, some tailwinds with the pandemic, and I think that's coming undone here. But it's a great name to have on your watch. Just like I said, the return on equity is consistently strong. Their cash flow is consistent. Don't pay a dividend yet, but I could see this being a name that that will in the near future. And I, I like Zebra on the watch list around 350 would be pickup. Now let's pivot over to what are we going to talk about? Oh, let's talk about the housing market and what impact Fed policy has had so far. Well, we know that mortgage rates are on the rise. And part of it is the rise in the 10 year, up about 30 basis points. But that is not all. Remember, I talked about the 10 year being up 30 basis points. But if you look at uh, rates, they're up now around 3.7%. And take a look here. The low was right around 3% not long ago. In, let's see, August, July, August timeframe. And that was when the Fed was expected to only raise the, raise rates once this year. And right around September, that started to change. That They started to change their messaging around inflation, around their monetary policy stance. And one big change is pulling out of the mortgage market overall. It's built up about $2.7 trillion of mortgage-backed securities. 
And they've talked about reversing course, winding down its purchases, and laying the groundwork to actually sell those securities. And that means those securities are selling off for two reasons. One is the expectation of rising rates, but also the expectation that there's going to be more supply out there in the market. And the Fed sells those positions, that's supply that the private market has to sop up. And so what that means is there's less demand for mortgage bonds and issuers need of, of new securities need to offer higher yields. So the 30 year fixed rate mortgage is around its highest level since the beginning of the pandemic. Like I said, about 3.7%. And even during the Fed meeting, these rates are rising. So during last Wednesday's Fed meeting, from just before the announcement to a day after was up six basis points on a roughly three and a half percent mortgage rate, that's pretty big move in a short period of time. So it's partly expectations of the Fed, but also banks as well, because they were big buyers of mortgages. A lot of people put money into bank accounts. They got a lot of money from the government. They put it in the bank and the bank needed, needed somewhere to invest that. And they put a lot of that in mortgage bonds. And now that liquidity is tightening up, dollars are drying up in the system, they will, will be marginal sellers of those bonds as well. And they've already started to do that. And so you have the Fed and banks being pulling back dramatically. And that is a big change to the mortgage market dynamics. So the extra yield that investors are demanding to own mortgage-backed securities today Above treasuries, remember, there's this, something called the yield spread. And this happens with uh, high yield debt, corporate debt, right? a, a spread, a, a, a compensation for the extra level of risk above treasuries. Okay, And typically, that is mm, right around half a percent for the mortgage uh, mortgages. Right now, it's at 0.8%. And so it's been a quarter point increase in that just so far this year. And that could expand another quarter point or so. So it's not just about what the tenure does. It's about what that spread for the increased level of risk of higher rates, of a weaker housing market. All of those things, investors are demanding higher yields. And so we're at a level now from bottom, from peak to trough, or, or sorry, from trough to peak. Remember, trough was last year to where we are today of nearly 100 basis points. And that is a level that is going to change demand at the margin. Now, we still have a lot of inventory, a lot, not a lot of inventory on the market. And that means that the housing market is probably going to be slow in pricing to react overall. But you're definitely going to see a slowdown through the balance of this year, as long as mortgages stay kind of three and a half, four percent 4% in that range, the housing market will slow. And by the year end, I could see a decline in housing prices more broadly. Every, every area of the country is different. But that's where we're at. Let's go to Eli, New York City, and he wants to talk about gold and silver. Hi there. Yeah, a question on gold and silver. So uh, pretty much for the latter half of 2020, 2021, um, I've been hearing analysts call them before on, on this podcast, even um, some amateur uh, traders that I follow. Pretty much everyone has said as federal interest rates and, and real net interest rates go up, gold and silver will go up. 
I've heard calls for $2,000 gold price for uh, about a year and a half now. Uh, I'm curious, what is your outlook on, on the price of gold and silver, and why hasn't it had that pop that so many have said it was going to? Well, that's a great question. And it's kind of counterintuitive, uh, but the when the Fed, the, the, the gold and silver price prices in a looser Federal Reserve. And that's what you saw. You had that deflationary spike down during COVID, and then it rebounded very quickly. From peak to trough, it only took about four weeks for gold to, to bottom. And four weeks, five weeks later, gold was actually higher than we were pre-pandemic because it was pricing in that reversal in Fed policy to something very, very loose. Uh, and then really since September of 2020, oil prices have been in a consolidation pattern, consolidating that move. Um, and what you see here uh, recently is that even though the Fed's tightening, it's kind of not impacting gold prices negatively. It's not going up, not going down, it's neutral. Um, so I believe when there's a policy error, which I think the Fed will walk into at some point, it always does because it's always backward looking and it doesn't really have great models to understand where the economy is going. And they'll make, they'll make an error and that's when uh, gold will, will probably go up. Um, in a slowing economy, gold actually does better. Um, and so that's what you're seeing now uh, is I think you're, you're seeing a series of lower highs and lower lows. And I think gold will break out probably in the second quarter uh, and it's a bit neutral now. Um, so there's, I do think it should be higher. Uh, if you look at real rates, uh, it should be closer to 2000 where it's at around 1800 now. Well, why it's hasn't reached that 2000 level yet. I'm not sure. Um, mainly, you know, could be just because we haven't had that economic backdrop where it, it typically thrives and, and we're in that now, uh, in the first and second quarter of this year. So, uh, I still like gold and silver, uh, technically it's neutral, uh, but the, the fundamental backdrop remains bullish. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. We'll work, and our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart. In today's market, more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance because it can help you achieve financial freedom. This is Invest Talk, and you've come to the right place. Justin Klein is here now, taking your calls live. So step up with your questions, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin, I'm calling about Builder's First Source, ticker symbol BLDR. I own some, and I'm looking to add some more. Just let me know what you think. Thanks. We're looking at Builder's First Source. This is, let's see what the size, mid-cap growth company about a $13 billion market cap, the manufacturer and supplier of building materials, offer structural and related pro uh, building products such as flat factory built roof and floor trusses, wall panels and stairs, vinyl windows. And this is another one of those names that's uh, done very well in uh, during the pandemic as there's been a lot of demand for building of new homes and remodeling, et cetera. And I think that is this is one of those those names that's going to 
to come off and its earnings are going to normalize. And you've already seen this come from about 86 peak back in December, hit a low recently about 62. Now we're at 67. Uh, I think this, uh, this is headed for a, a downtrend uh, because of revised uh, earnings estimates that are, that are going lower uh, with interest rates going up and you know, the housing market cooling off. Uh, I'm, I'm just not a fan of this. I think there's still uh, a ways to go. You look at enterprise value EBITDA, it does look cheap at about six times, but I think that EBITDA is a bit inflated. So I think you're, you're seeing peak earnings right now. If this can get back down to, uh, the, the mid forties, that would be interesting again. Uh, but it's been overbought from the weekly chart and it's come off, but it looks to be headed for more of a consistent downtrend and getting back down to levels that are more reasonable. So mid forties, this would be uh, pretty good. And if you look at it's a long-term profitability, let me take a look at that real quick. Pull that up. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it, it, 2011, 2015, it had a tough time. It was just burning cash, negative free cash flow. And it's kind of right at the ship. So I like that. Even pre-pandemic, 2019, they made four, they had $400 million in free cash flow, which is solid. And so they'll probably go back to earning somewhere around that level of, of cash flow. And, but only around $40, $45, that would be worthwhile. So good on your watch list, but I think there's some ways to go on the downside. Now let's close off with oil and big tobacco. And I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from what happened in, in the 80s uh, up until now. And since over the last 40 years or so, big tobacco really has been a money-making machine. Even when cigarette sales overall fall below single digits every single year. But prices went up to compensate and profit margins continued to be very, very strong. Now, recently, you've had e-cigarettes and heated tobacco, and that's kind of changed the industry a bit. And they're trying to present themselves as ESG and even healthy in some ways. And so they've been in, in a many decade now long fight to stay in business, to keep their their profit model going, uh, but by, by presenting themselves as more more ESG. And I think there's a guide here for how oil companies can transition. Now we know that they're going to want to governments will want to tax and regulate it out of existence. But the problem is, is that our economy is addicted to oil, addicted to energy, just as smokers are addicted to nicotine. Environmentalists, governments, they want to wean customers onto alternative sources of energy. But as we know, we talked about on the show many times, that's going to take a while. So with increasing regulation and uh, limits on, on, on marketing, you couldn't launch new tobacco products starting in the 80s and new companies. Well, all that did was mean that they, they gave the earnings back to shareholders. Paid higher dividends, bought back shares, and oil uh, tobacco companies have been great investments since that since that time. So are our oil companies going to be the same thing? Not drilling anymore and just simply returning their cash flows to shareholders, and that means they could be great investments. Or 
Another way is to what a lot of companies are doing, especially in Europe, are plowing those earnings into wind farms and green energy products. And there's gonna be two paths there uh, for for uh, oil companies as a whole. So the big question is, what path will each one of them take, and will governments force them one way or another? So uh, I think there's a lot of lessons there, and I think either way they're gonna be good investments. Well, that about does it. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. And if you leave a question with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial.